After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. That's good play. It's amazing the technical obstacles that we have overcome this week and last week. There is a giant internet outage across Canada. Josh has had a few technical issues that he believes now that he's come close to diagnosing. But the, I, I would say that this is giving 110%, wouldn't you, Josh? Is that we're giving 110% to make this podcast happen. Yes, and we, we need to hit that 110% mark because the the gremlins that live in the electronics and the technology that we rely on, uh, they're, they're giving uh, nearly 100% as well. So we've got to <laughs> overcome that. It's, it's a battle. It, it can be sometimes, but we're here for another edition of the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, you get him at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram, at Todd Lewis Sports for me again on Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, summer plans, vacation, fitness, camps, future officials drafted, and what it was like then versus now. You know, I'm still finding it strange to kind of glance across the morning headlines and information as you usually do. Everybody does kind of a download when they get up and get going. And I'm not seeing any so-and-so has been invited for a player hearing or will have a Zoom hearing or has been fined or coaches challenges news. I'm, I'm still getting used to that. I'm still trying to find my way into this summer routine. You know, I, I think what, what we really need to document, and I think what would help close that gap for you a little bit, Todd, is uh, we need Phil Pritchard, the keeper of the cup, to start mm-hmm. documenting abuse of cup stories <laughs> so that we can... <laughs> <laughs> we can we can retroactively find what these Avalanche players have been doing to Lord Stanley's Cup this summer. That that may be uh, may be a thing. You know how sometimes if you're watching highlights, they'll have a account if a player has a particularly aggressive <laughs> shift for the number of hits. Maybe they could do that for the number of dents that have been put into that mug this year. Yeah, the summer highlight reel of that. Uh, ding, another one right here. <laughs> ding, another dent on this side. <laughs> Whoever has the maintenance contract for that thing, boy, are they happy about this. <laughs> yes. And this is why we can't have nice things, or at least we have to have a, <laughs> That's right. we have to have a copy of the nice thing on tour because the original needs to sit in the Hockey Hall of Fame because you, you guys can't. You've, you've shown us you can't take care of it properly. Maybe they should set up, and this would be under Phil's guys as well is maybe a before and after the summer <laughs> tour of the Stanley Cup and the Hockey Hall of Fame. Maybe there's something to look at. Before it it, it looks like this and after it looks like Chris Draper's face in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, well I, I saw that that documentary and I want to get into that in, in a couple of seconds because it made me ask myself a bunch of questions and I figured, well, I don't have any answers. So I'm going to bring them up to you because you have a, a lot more answers. But the, the one thing that I have been paying attention to is the NHL draft that's been going on, which has been crazy in terms of player movement and draft choices moving and goalies taking up a lot of space on the second day. It's it, There has been a lot of activity, which has been great. It's been satisfying the hockey craving just a little bit. But I'm also wondering, and Josh did a really nice piece on this on the scoutingtherest.com website, is how many future officials have been drafted this year in Montreal? 
Yeah, and we don't know that yet. And we will one day because it looks like every year, every other year, one of the players who's drafted makes it to the NHL as an official. We've had quite a few in recent history. So they might not know it yet, but their their dream of making the NHL may take a different path as some of these guys, depending on how their career goes, whether it's a, an injury or something that prevents them from making it to the, the highest level or just uh, they hit their limitations of what they can do and realize that to stay in the game, to still be a part of hockey and to keep that dream alive of making the NHL, they might have to do it as an official. So somewhere, somewhere out there amidst all these draft picks is a potential future NHL referee or linesman. Do you know what I want to see when that happens in a year or two or three or however many it is, it happens? You know what I want to see? I want to see the draft moment recreated where the player comes down out of the stands, <laughs> walks up on the stage and puts on a striped jersey as opposed to a team jersey. We can have that happen, I think. That would be a beautiful thing. You know, we've, we've seen some of the teams have done something similar this year with not having the in-person draft for the past couple seasons. And I, I saw actually, I think it was the New York Rangers had one of their draft picks attend and he got to meet the folks on the floor and, and kind of experience what the draft was like. It'd be great to do that as guys are coming in for officials to have them okay you're going to join us at the draft we're, we're doing the officiating draft now and you're, you get to walk down and, and put on the stripes so that that would be a moment and you know what it, it'd be be a fun moment for the officiating team as well so let's let's put a positive spin on it let's let's point that out there Oh, and, and I mean, like, really go to town with it, like come down and walk up the stage yes. and have Stephen Walkham shake hands yes. with him and the, and the whole like the whole bit. I like really go over the top with it. I, you know, the, the draft audiences are already pretty good at booing Bettman. So I think <laughs> I feel like this would become an extension of that, but it would be an awesome moment. Yeah, it would be uh, it would be a lot of fun. Some of the other things that are happening, of course, in the summer as we are already looking ahead towards next season because the schedule has been released, opening nights for each of the teams have been been determined is that what happens now to officials is at times similar to what happens with the players is they've been on the road a lot. They've been traveling a lot. So focused on on their jobs for eight or 10 months is that it's a chance to reconnect with the families a little bit. Maybe there's a little vacation time. But it's not going to be long before they're starting to prepare and train and get ready for the rigors of another physical season, just like the players do. Absolutely. It, it used to be that there was an off season and anymore, it, it's a full year round job of, of maintaining that level of, of fitness. And you might take a week off here, two weeks off. Maybe you go somewhere nice for a little while, take the family on a trip, but you're you're not really shutting it down. You're right back at it. Um We'll see that a lot of these guys will keep busy in the summer with some camps for younger amateur officials or participating in camps to help provide guidance and mentorship. But in any case, the the physical training, the work, the stamina, the endurance, that's a top priority. So you'll uh, you'll have a little bit of downtime. And like you said, at least you get to spend it around the family and and you know be with the ones you love and take advantage of that. But the work, no, the, the work doesn't stop. We should say as well that so many of the officials participate in causes and charities, whether it's golf tournaments and, and donating their time and efforts as well, that they do a, a wonderful job with that during their off time in the summer as well. The the former referees and officials will be having camps, uh, Tim Peel, Jay Shares, and others. And then, of course, the NHL is going to be having their camp looking for officials to potentially take the ice for NHL games in the future this summer as well. Every year it, it rolls around in uh, in Buffalo's Harbor Center and they have a, 
a collection of, of folks who are potentially considering a jump to officiating. So they look at high level players from college ranks, amateur, semi-pro, pro, even ECHL, AHL guys, and try to find those who have the potential, who have the interest to make that transition from a high level player to a high level official. And it's not just them. I, I should be clear. That's the area that the league has been trying to tap into to try to identify folks. But they're also looking at those career officials who've worked their way up, who've spent years in stripes at all levels and, and inviting some of those to camp as well. And you put them side by side and you see, you know, when you bring all these folks together, it gives you a, a bigger pool to draw from, a larger number of candidates to evaluate. We've got men and women at camp as as in prior years. So uh, it's it's nice to have that as well. And it really gives the NHL a chance to see who has the greatest potential to become an NHL official? And then coming out of that, we've seen guys go right into an NHL contract and start working in the AHL. And and we've seen other guys that have, have taken a few years to go back and really work their way into that level. But it it's almost, man, it's like being shot out of a cannon because really, if, if you're tapped on the shoulder at that camp, if they identify you as potential, get, get ready to suit up in the AHL and get ready to start working those games. That's amazing. Now, I don't know if you have the answer to this. Is that an invitation only thing or is if there is a, a, you know, a player or current in one of the minors or whatever who's interested, could they reach out to the league and ask about it? They absolutely could. The league's been pretty open in past years of uh, making the application public for guys who might be interested, guys and girls who might be interested in giving it a shot. So I know they screen it. I know it's limited capacity, so they can't let everybody mm -hmm. in, but there uh, there is absolutely an opportunity to apply or certainly if, if they've got their eye on someone or there's some connection there to have folks invited but yeah wide open for that application standpoint so certainly they want people at a certain level and they, they want them to have the right experience and whether it's officiating or whether it's high level as a player but yes uh, wide open to anyone who might be interested or thinking about it and you know what for those guys in, in the late stages of their career who look like they might not be able to make the jump it's worth giving it a shot you know you don't know how hard it is. You don't know how much you might love it to be a part of the game in a different way, but uh, holy cow, a lot of hard work too. Uh, you don't want to underestimate. This isn't like an, an easy way to stick around. This isn't just coasting on in. Oh, I carry the whistle and skate around a little bit. It's super competitive <laughs> and, and it is a lot of hard work, especially for the guys making the transition who aren't used to the managing the game or, or you know assessing things from an officiating point of view they might know the rules they might know the speed the pace and have all the physical tools but mentally it's it's a it's a big stretch to get there so a lot of work and it's certainly not for everyone but the nhl doing what they can to try to find those folks who just might be a good fit to be the next generation of nhl refs and linesmen well we'll see what comes out of it this year in camp and see if anybody gets on the fast track and gets moving towards that potential nhl career there is one other item that I did want to talk about this week, and you kind of alluded to it, and it has to do with uh, the, the Colorado Avalanche and great timing by ESPN to release their terrific new documentary called Unrivaled. It goes back, it looks at the rivalry, which honestly does not seem like a strong enough word to describe what took place between the Colorado Avalanche and the Detroit Red Wings back in the, in the late 1990s and headed towards the 2000s. So first off, it, it's well done. It, it, it is a, a very well done piece. And I just watched it a, a, a day or so ago. I don't want to throw shade on it, but there's a few things about it that I thought were either unnecessary or could have been a little bit different, a little bit better. I'm not giving away anything by saying any of this. I, 
I thought the commissioner's interview segments were kind of bland. And honestly, I think he had a bit of an agenda. He acknowledged that this was part of the league's history, but also seemed to be saying that, oh, there's less fighting now. There's no stage fighting. Uh, that doesn't happen today. I'll call BS, but we'll move on. <laughs> part of the difficulty, I think, with this documentary is that so many of the principals are still involved in the game in some way, shape, or form, a lot of them with other teams and different organizations. The other is that the league, of course, has to sign off on this before it comes to air. So I think it impacts the, the final product. But as I said, it's very good. It's, it's well worth the investment of time to watching. But Josh, it got me thinking... So much about officiating has changed and evolved since those days 25 or so years ago. The, the Wings and the Avs was total chaos that went on for several years. And I was just trying to transport forward if that were even possible to happen in, in today's game. I I don't think it could. I don't I don't think you'd see a fraction of what went on. I mean, this started in 96, carried through 97, through the Western Conference final. Then again, we had it 98. They met so many times in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of this would have been shut down initially. I think that that 1996 series, we saw a, a rough one there. Victor Kozlov hits Adam Foote, leaves him bloody. Yes. No penalty there. No suspension there. Lemieux gets suspended for a sucker punch on him later that game. That certainly deserved a suspension. But the, the Kozlov hit, the thing that started it all, goes without a penalty, goes without any anything from player safety, which player safety was a different beast at the time. It was Brian Burke's show, and they certainly had a, a different approach to what they were looking at, different criteria, different standards. But still, uh, looking at it now, it's it, that's a horrifying hit. I mean, people would be looking at five games for, for these types. <laughs> they'd be looking at multiple game suspensions for pretty yeah. much everything that happened in that one. Well, and, th and that's it. It's, it. There were so many instances of full-on line brawls where it's, oh, well, we'll give the guys, you know, roughing penalties or, or fighting penalties, and we'll just, you know, wash our hands of it. There's nothing more to see here. Let's move along. And that was kind of, you, you mentioned Brian Burke, who was the, the head of discipline at, at that time, which seems like kind of an oxymoron, but th that's what happened. It's like, here's here's what we did. Here's what I gave them. That's it. It's, it's over and out. That was the standard at the time. Thankfully, it has evolved because you're right, that Kozlov hit where he grabs Adam Foote by the back of the helmet and runs him into the turnbuckle, which is the end glass and the supports. I mean, it was a horrifying hit. He should have been suspended for games at that time. And that was during the playoffs. It, it was. And it's a, it was a scary one. It was certainly from a player safety standpoint, you're looking at an issue there. So he gets nothing. Lemieux gets suspended for the, the sucker punch that was retaliatory there. And then, of course, all hell breaks loose in game six, which uh, which we knew was the, the Claude Lemieux hit on Chris Draper. But... I, I do want to say uh, that that Kozlov hit the one that didn't get the penalty. This is Terry Gregson working that game and Gregson, a great official, plenty of years working by himself. Remember, this is three man crews. So you had one referee, right. two linesmen out there. And I think people forget how much one referee couldn't monitor everything that was going on on the ice at one time. And even even one fewer body when you have line brawls breaking out, you know, you've you've got one referee trying to keep score on who's getting which penalties and, and monitoring the situation. It's a lot more demanding. It's a lot more challenging. And and you forget how much could go undetected by the official. And Paul Dvorsky was the referee who was designated for one of the games. And there were there were some segments of of comments from Paul Dvorsky, who was who was I don't think he intended to be, but I found it quite amusing in how he delivered just kind of his 
thoughts and comments and just kind of shrugged his shoulders and shook his head. It's like, <laughs> I, 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 there was no way I was stopping this train, but I was doing my best to handle it. And, and you're right with one official and six guys all locked up with six guys on the other team, you're only going to see so much. I mean, Darren McCarty was penalized at times, but he could have, <laughs> you could have had a clicker in your hand knocking off the <laughs> yes. number of offenses on one play. Absolutely. And it's it's hard to keep track. And I think the McCarty, the, the one that jumps out to me, probably the one you're referencing too, is the March of 97 game when you had Patrick Wass scrapping against Mike Vernon. And, and that's the one when McCarty, I guess, blindside sucker punches Lemieux in the side of the head. Lemieux's all yes. bloody. He turtles on the ice. And and that was a Dvorsky game. So you're looking everywhere. You're trying to keep people, uh, trying to keep people from getting killed out there. So, uh, Wah comes charging across the ice. Who tackles him halfway across? Brendan Shanahan. And it's it's a mess. It's it's chaos. And I can't, man. As an official, you you just you don't want to end up in that situation. And those are the types of things that you're hoping you can defuse through penalty calls, through on ice chatter, through conversations with the benches. But man, when the when the fuse gets lit there. It blows up and there's there's really not a lot you can do other than try to just manage it as best you can. And, and that's what Dvorsky did there. So uh, not a not a fun spot to be in at all. So good, good for him. And I think all he can do is shake his head at that point. Absolutely right. And this is not, again, a knock on any of the, the referees that were participating in these games, whether it be Terry Gregson or Paul Dvorsky. They were doing absolutely the best that they could. And again, understanding that 25 years ago was a long time and things were conducted, business was conducted very differently in the National Hockey League again. And, you know, it, it occurred to me, too, as I'm watching, I don't know, about the 50th fight be broken up, <laughs> that... Ray Scampanello was involved in so many of these games and he was as I as I'm watching him on the ice trying to separate combatants and he was arguably the best skater ever as an official in in the league had had more than 30 years in the league I would have loved to have heard stories from Scampanello about this as part of this doc or just having a conversation his book of course was between the lines not so tall tales from ray it's it's worth checking out but imagine the stories that scampanella would have told about this rivalry oh god the stories he must have what what he heard on the ice what he heard in those scrums in those pile ups it's it's amazing and it's more impressive that ray was only 57 uh, and that's I'm going to say with skates on, you know, having yeah. having seen him, he was not a large guy. However, he had the respect of these players and a, as much as anybody could, you know, we see how big linesmen are today. You take a guy like Kyle Flemington's over 6'6". These guys are breaking up fights with their physicality, with their long reach. Scapanello had none of that. He he did it with assertiveness, with confidence, with his ability and willingness to just jump right in there and uh, made a great career out of it, made a Hall of Fame career out of it. And you forget, you know, it, he wasn't the biggest guy, but man, it, it worked. He was effective out there as a linesman. Strong as a bull as well. As I think that probably helped a little bit. But it occurs to me that thinking about Scampanello as, as great a skater as he was and some of the other officials, particularly linesmen, that's the area where we have to get them involved in the NHL skills competition over All-Star Weekend. That's at, at least put them in the fastest <laughs> skater competition because they can compete, no doubt about it. I, I want them doing fastest skater. I want some agility drills here for dodging the puck or jumping up on the dasher. I mean, back in the old days when they used to grab onto the glass and jump up, that was that was always fun too. So I think uh, I think we can do probably some some agility and speed for the linesmen, doing their best to stay out of the way, avoid pucks, avoid players, and and then at the end maybe just put a big football tackling dummy there to see if they can break <laughs> it up. <laughs> 
maybe maybe that's it. It's just you know, okay, we have uh, you have them have them break up a fight or of some sorts, or yeah, a, a football tackling dummy might be the way to do it. But this, the, it again, uh, unrivaled as a documentary, it's worth checking out and uh, gives you an interesting look back into the National Hockey League, and it it makes you re- remember too that things when you say, oh, I remember the good old days maybe some of those memories are a bit jaded and uh, a bit foggy as time has passed. And there's no doubt to me that the game is in a far better place now than it was then. Thanks for listening to the Scouting the Refs podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram and follow Todd at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe out there. Keep it clean. Watch the elbows. We'll see you back out there on the ice.